HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. 2019 is Heritage Radio Network's 10th birthday, and we've got a lot to celebrate. We need your support to bring you another year of the best in food radio. Help HRN ring in its second decade by becoming a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate. All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and we're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, December 19th, 2018, and this is the 200th episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Yes, I said 200. 200th episode, I'm going to give a hootie hoo hoo <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. So that is my guest today, who I will introduce fully in a moment. She is an acclaimed chef, television personality, and best-selling author who has a new cookbook out. But first, as we do on every show, I'm going to start out with my PR tip, and then later we have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to own it. And by it, I mean everything. Embrace your individualism and be the best you. Own your style, your values, and your ideas. And never feel you have to apologize or explain what's meaningful to you. Our unique qualities and capabilities are what makes the world a more special place. So be you, always. That's my tip today. Now, I am thrilled to have my guest here with me in the studio to help celebrate this 200th episode. It is Carla Hall. She is a chef, cookbook author, and television personality who has been entertaining audiences with her enthusiasm for life and warm personality for years. Carla first won over viewers when she competed on Bravo's Top Chef and Top Chef All-Stars, and then in her years hosting the award-winning daytime program, The Chew, on ABC. Carla has combined her loves for food, people, and culture to write several cookbooks, and her latest is Carla Hall's Soul Food Every Day and Celebration. Welcome to the show. Thank you, and I love that PR tip. Thank you. That's a really good one. 
I'm I'm so glad you love it. And of course, I was thinking of you when I was writing it because I feel you you are you and you're fabulous and you own it. I, I think that that has come with age and experience and wisdom. And the thing that I say to young cooks is work with enough people so that you can understand what your yummy is. You know, just developing their palate and figuring out who they are in food. So, um, and I think, I think I've seen a lot of chefs try to imitate people and it never works. And then when they stop and they're like, oh, I'm going to come back to my heritage or my culture or whatever, whatever is interesting to them, that project does well. Yeah, that's a good point. So h- how did you learn that? Was it, was it part of all this TV exposure and being a chef in, in front of an audience? Or when you said it came later. Um, I was, what, 44 when I first did Top Chef. And I was catering. And so in catering, you are cooking for other people. So they're telling you what you want, what they want to, you know, they're, they're, the, the, oh my God, the client is telling you what they want you to make. And so it's not about being an individual, but it's about making the best version of whatever they want. So when I was doing Top Chef, it was, um, you know, cooking for the judges. But I was so stressed, and it, it's such a stressful environment, that I started making food that I wanted to eat after the shoot was done and that I was going to eat in the house where we were staying. Interesting. And then that did that started becoming the dishes you were making? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. Cool. Around those parameters. Mm-hmm. And um, and then after the show, people were saying, oh, I love it. You're the comfort food chef, right? And I, and I didn't think of myself as that. So I really, you know, keep going back to that franchise who helped me see who I was. Because I was running away from that food. I was running away from soul food. I was running f- away from anything um, that was my culture that basically I didn't value yet. Yeah. And then you started to embrace it. And yes. So let's back up a little bit with before you were cooking professionally, because mm-hmm. I know in a longer bio, there's the words accountant and model. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so, so when you're growing up and, and you're, you're looking at your future, um, let's talk a little about your career path because it was, and when did cooking become come more into your professional interest? Well, cooking didn't start until like I was cooking and I started a lunch delivery service as a fluke when I was around 25. And then I went to culinary school at 30. But I wanted to be an actress. I wanted to do theater. And I, I did theater in high school, grade school. So I did theater from 12 to 17. And I didn't get into Boston University, which is where I wanted to go to a conservatory. And I just looked at my sister. I'm like, where are you going to school? She said, Howard University in Washington, D.C. I said, okay, I'll apply there and I'll major in accounting. Because I liked my accounting teacher. I mean, after that, because that was the only thing that I focused on, you know, I went left and then majored in accounting. And for me, and I still like process, and I think cooking is about process. And accounting and numbers a process, you know, where you have this spreadsheet. And so my brain works that way. And so 
I think people think, oh, it's just so different. But, but no, because you have numbers, which are ingredients, and you have steps, which is a recipe. So it's the same thing in a different way. Granted, if you got creative in accounting, you go to jail. But, you know, it's still... <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other show. That's a whole other show. <laughs> but it's still that right brain, left brain thing, I think. Right. And then you were modeling... Yes, I was modeling um, at, uh, after I left accounting, and I said, I hate this. I don't like it. I started doing fashion shows in college, and then when I moved to Tampa, Florida, when I was working for um, Price Waterhouse at, at the time now, it's PwC, they, uh, a, a way to meet people was to model. So I'm like, oh, somebody said, are you a model? Well, I have modeled, and I, I said, are you interested? Yes, but for me, it was a way, a socially, a way to meet other people because I didn't know anybody there. And I started modeling, and then I hated my job, and I met somebody else who said, um, we're going to Paris. I'm like, you know what? I think I'll do that. I hate my job. A lot of my decisions were based on things that I didn't like. And so I made an about face and just went in that direction. So I just fell into this. Yeah, well, you. I mean... In such a good way. Yeah, yeah. So what prompted you to audition for Top Chef? I didn't even know about the show. Okay. It was another thing I fell into. Um, my husband watched the show. Another friend has said, oh, you know this show, Top Chef? And I was like, no, I don't know it. And I was knackered, just completely exhausted from the holiday season when I was catering. And I sat and watched um, seasons one one, two, and three before season four started. And I was like, wow, this is a really, this is a cool show. And then um, somebody called me about auditioning. And it, it literally was months later. So it was, it was because they were already, they were already showing season four and mm -hmm. then they were getting the cast ready for season five. So it happened. You, I know you did All Stars 2, your fan favorite. I mean, you, you were amazing. I loved watching you. It was so crazy. When I look back, it was so crazy. And, um, and how that show honestly changed my life. And, and it was just this random thing. Even, even going to the casting and, and I, I didn't, it was, a, it was a personal challenge for me to do Top Chef. So it wasn't that I didn't do it because I wanted to be on television. I didn't do it because um, it was a cool thing to do. And I, I didn't want to, I was going to further my career. I really did it as a personal challenge for myself. And so when I was on the show, it was, it was constantly, you know, oh, can I handle this stress? Can I, you know, can I do this? And just one thing led to another. Yeah. Well, I've, I've found it interesting over the years because there's there's been now many seasons, but it's not the people who have come off the show and have, I don't know, done really well or done... I mean, everyone's path has been different, but it's not necessarily the winner of the show or the one top chef that season. Right. There's been that visibility and exposure has, has created amazing career paths paths for for so many people who've been on the shows and certainly for for you yeah absolutely and I at one point and I think it was after all-stars there was only of all of the winners there was only one person working all of the winners 
were out of work. Wow. <laughs> so Such be- a hard industry. It's, it's a hard industry. Yeah. And so just doing the show does not does not give you necessarily um, fame. It doesn't give you a job. It doesn't, you know, you still have to do the work. Oh, yeah. You sure. still, you know, there's, there's no, you know, let me, you know, jump to the front of the line. And even with all of the exposure that I got with all, and I, you're probably going to be talking about my restaurant, but, but with all of that exposure, it didn't, it didn't help my restaurant survive. Yeah. I, there was an article you wrote about, about the, the restaurant and, mm-hmm. and the reasons reasons behind it it not succeeding. I went. I I loved it. And and so <laughs> and everybody even in the neighborhood when they when I go back to the neighborhood they're like oh where's the restaurant I loved it. It's never about the food. And I think that when people say I love to cook I'm going to open a restaurant I'm like that's the last reason that you should want to open a restaurant. It's always about the business of the restaurant. It's always about the knowing the culture of restaurants and understanding the business of it and behind the scenes, the parts that aren't sexy, you know, that's what successful restaurants um, will have in spades. And, and hopefully you will balance the great food with the running of the restaurant. Yeah. I, I mean, as someone who primarily represents restaurants as a publicist, I've, I've seen a lot of closings and it's not, it's not necessarily because, there isn't one rhyme or reason. It could be a, a huge rent increase mm-hmm. or not having the foot traffic. It's usually the the food is is fabulous and the person can cook, but it's not. You know, it, it has so many factors. But um, on that note, do you are you still interested in opening another restaurant? I obviously can't do a restaurant and be in there every day because I'm doing other things, and it would mean that I am working with an operator whom I trust. Mm -hmm. And that's the million dollar question and the million dollar just X factor of having a successful restaurant. And so I'm talking to people about that. Um, The jury is still out whether or not I would trust that person. Because if I come back, it would it would have to be it would really have to be right and i've learned so much and i i would not redo the things that i learned with carla hall's southern kitchen i would do that exactly the same way again because i learned so much about the business so um i would i will never run away from my lessons and actually the one thing uh, about top chef was i became comfortable with being uncomfortable yeah that's a good one mm-hmm. <laughs> so what before we take a break, what led you to the Chew? And that was an amazing run of doing live TV. I, I, I mean, yeah, that was it. Was an incredible show before its time. I mean, it was a food show like The View, hence the name, uh, where we talked about food. I had just won fan favorite on Top Chef All Stars. I auditioned for the Chew. They didn't choose me. They shot a pilot. And and then right at the end, they were going to change the cast who was originally chosen at the pilot. And um, the five of us, so Michael Clinton, Mario, Daphne, and myself, we were together for 20 minutes, and they named us as the cast. Six days later, um, it was 
it was announced. And it was kind of crazy. But when we were together, we felt that it was really special. It was the chemistry that they, they noticed or you all noticed too? We yeah. noticed it. And yeah. the um, the executive producers, Gordon Elliott, noticed it. And it just worked. Yeah, absolutely. And now you're doing GMA Day. Yes. So once a week, I'm the food contributor and on Wednesdays. And I'll be there throughout the hour. And there have been changes in the there have been changes, and they're trying to figure it out, but that's been really fun. I, 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 was, I was looking back at some of your clips, and I saw this one recently where you rollerbladed in, and you had a little accident. Yes. <laughs> but it was just like you did a whole cooking demo on your rollerblades. So I was like... Go, Carla. I, I, I know. Go, Carla. <laughs> and sometimes insert eye roll. But... Um, you, Yes, that happened. <laughs> it's fun, and you're cooking, and it's. It, I don't know. I like the. You know, I like the show. It's, yeah, um, yeah. It's fun, and, and it's it's supposed to show that they're not taking themselves too seriously. Mm -hmm. And I think um, to get away from news and to really show, you know, some fun things and what's happening, and because people already have the weight of the world, you know, on them, and when you have all of these several shows talking about the news cycle and talking over and over. You just need a respite from it, which is why The Chew was so successful. And um, people are still mourning that show. I, I honestly feel like I am living through a funeral. And so GMA Day is, a you know, they're, they're trying to be that respite for the world. Yes. Well, people tune in. It's great. Let's take a little break here. We're going to come back and we're going to talk more with Carla and we're going to talk about her new book that's out. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Next year, Heritage Radio Network is turning 10. For the last decade, we've been committed to bringing listeners around the world the very best in food radio for free. Our small staff and incredible network of hosts work hard so that listeners can tune in each week to hear the important conversations in food policy, stay on the cutting edge of cocktail culture, and hear the latest updates in food tech. But there is no HRN without the support of listeners like you. Become a member of Heritage Radio Network today and help HRN get a strong start to our second decade. Choose from exclusive member gifts and stay in the loop on discounts to upcoming events. There's no better time to show your support. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate and wish HRN a happy birthday. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Carla Hall. She's a chef, cookbook author, and TV personality. And let's talk about this new book you have out. Carla Hall's Soul Food, Every Day and Celebration. I love it. I have Thank my copy you. here. Um, soul Food. Let's talk about it. What does it mean to you and what in inspired you to do this book? This is your, your third book? Is it, this is my third book. I think this is my most popular. I'm not popular. This is my most personal cookbook. And um, this is the book that I fought to actually get out into the world because... Um, I really wanted to talk about soul food, what it is, what it isn't, um, the difference between soul food and Southern food. And I simply say in the book, it's black cooks. And I, I, I just cut right to the chase. I, I don't dance around the subject 
Um, even on, being on tour, I've talked a lot about food and race in this country. And um, But when I, when I first set out to do this book, my literary agent said, I don't think you should do it because you have a very broad audience um, of fans and you don't want to ostracize anybody. And, and I challenged her on that. I said, why is it that if I'm talking about my culture and my heritage that I'm going to ostracize somebody? Because you wouldn't say that to um, somebody who is Korean or, you know, East Indian or Italian, you know, when those books mm -hmm. come out. But when for African-Americans, it is we're the only group who doesn't get credit for our contributions as much in this country because of how we came here, how Africans came here. So it's been those conversations around it and a lot of open conversations, which I, I've enjoyed having um, just the back and forth with a lot of um, my fans. Yeah, so how did you decide what, what recipes to put in the book? I was I did a tour, started in Georgia and went to... Um, I started South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, finished in Nashville. And I was sort of gathering these recipes and talking to people. And, and then some, some dishes from my childhood. But I went back to the South, even though I had grown up there, specifically to go with an, an intention and mindset to really uncover who we are and talk to black farmers and older people and talk to them about what were some of the dishes that they had growing up and what was that food for them. And hearing them tell these stories when they were living off the land and fishing and talking about stories before food became this caricature of itself, where everything was fried. And so I started to imagine what would my ancestors eat if they came over here today. So I'm bringing in some of the African diaspora and, and, my, and, and knowing that I had my DNA done through African ancestry and then there was Portuguese and Spanish in there. So hence she's gonna, you're going to see Piri Piri in there and you're going to see some of these other influences that are also um, African. And he said peri peri because as I was as I was looking through the book and I was like I really want to cook from this and that was one of the dishes I saw I was like I want to do this and then I was also on your banana pudding yes <laughs> I was like I want to make this ah uh, the banana pudding now that was um, that's probably the hardest recipe in the cookbook really I think it has so many steps only because I I make my own shortbread I'm doing a meringue obviously you can buy the shortbread. But why? It's an easy recipe, but there are just a lot of steps. But that's the banana pudding that we had at our at my restaurant. Oh, that's mm -hmm. I remember having it. It's delicious. But I was also I noticed the book the recipes seemed more consumer friendly than other cookbooks that I own. That it wasn't intimidating that way. I felt for someone who doesn't cook a lot that you could that that they could get this book and and make make a whole amazing meal yes it's by design i think that a lot of times when you have a chef's cookbook they are it's a lot of ego in it and they're showing you what what they know not what they want you to know and it's important for me and and this was my second book as well um Carla Hall's Comfort Foods, but I want people to feel like they can, no matter where you are in the country, that the ingredients are accessible 
and you can do it. I want you to do a recipe. It's like, oh, wow, I, I mm-hmm. made that. I, and it actually tastes great, and I feel good about myself, and I want to cook more. You may not cook from this cookbook, but you still want to cook. I don't want people to walk away feeling intimidated like they are crappy cooks. Right. Oh, it's smart. Good way to, yeah, make people feel good and mm-hmm. hopefully get them in the kitchen. Yeah. Okay, let me ask you my question from my, my last guest on episode 199 I had on Jordan Salcito. She's a sommelier. She's the founder of and CEO of Ramona and the founder of Bellis Wines, and the director of Wine and Special Projects at Momofuku. So she wants to know, You recent, she said, you recently released a beautiful new book. What's one thing about soul food that you wish more people knew, and how does soul food go mainstream and break the regional barriers? I think that um, I want people to understand what grits are across the country. I, I, want I, ha- the- I have to say, my I always think of my cousin Vinny. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> you know, like, what's a grit? It's like more than one. Um, I, would, if, I would love people to not think that they can swap, even though grits are corn, swap polenta for grits because it's coarser ground. So for me, I would love for white grits to be available everywhere. I would love for white cornmeal to be available everywhere. Um because we use white cornmeal for hot water cornbread and yellow cornmeal for egg bread or skillet cornbread. I think that I'm okay with soul food being regional because it is about the foodways. It's about what is available. And when you think about farms and what grows in particular places, also soul food is not just for the South. I mean, the influence that African-Americans have had out I mean, going out west and north and, and in the south and then the Creole, the Creole coast, it's, it's, it's not just in the south. And I want to show it as a cuisine. And I think that's the thing. You don't have to be black to make this food, just like I don't have to be Italian to make Italian food. But I do want there to be an acknowledgement to this cuisine and as being part of the African diaspora. Great. What was your process like for writing this? I know you you work with Genevieve Cove. Yes, yes. Oh, I love Genevieve. This is our third book together, and she knows me so well. She knows my food sensibilities. And so it's a relationship that has grown, and she knew how important this book was for me. And the one thing that people don't realize, usually when you do a cookbook, you, you have an idea what recipes, whatever your process is, you do the recipes, and then... When it's time to shoot the photographs, you figure out what you're going to take pictures of or how you're going to do them. You have a stylist, you have the photographer, and then you do those pictures and then you give it to the publisher. Yada, yada, yada. In this cookbook, when we were doing our tour and we ended in Nashville, it was um, last five days that Genevieve and I were going to be together. The amazing photographer, Gabriele Stabile, um, who used to shoot for Lucky Peach and all, all mm-hmm. these other people, he has such a sensibility of capturing people and things in the moment, and they're real. So when we got to Nashville, Gabriele was supposed to come back to New York, and we had this amazing kitchen that we were working from out of to test the recipes of all of the things that we had been seeing on this trip. The kitchen was so incredible that we looked at Gabriele. We were like, we have to shoot here. This would be amazing. So all of the summer produce that we've been using we went to the market I just went to the farmer's market got food came back cooked and he shot it and then I worked backwards with the recipe oh 
wow. So all the, the recipes that you see with green beans and um, tomatoes and blackberries and, and mm-hmm. you know, all of these field peas that are summer produce, they were, I just cooked, we shot it, and then I, I figured out what the recipe was. <laughs> That works. It yeah, worked. it works. And yeah. it's real. It's just and, and that's also why the recipes are just so approachable because it's real cooking. Yeah. I could tell. So, you've uh, what just a kind of larger big question before we take another break. Like what advice would you give to someone who wants to be a chef or be a TV personality or be be you? <laughs> I well, first of I all, know. I, I would start with what do you love to do? Mm-hmm. Because just like you, your PR tip, it's all about authenticity. I was cooking, before I got on Top Chef, I had already been cooking for 14 years. No, actually longer than that, uh, 19 years. So I was already cooking. So I, I was doing the thing on television that I had been doing in my life. You don't prep your life for television. Mm-hmm. You live, and then that moves to television. So that's the first thing. And I think that um, if you want to be on television and a part of it, then that means that is your path. So your path is TV production, all of that. But when you're on camera, if it is not authentic, the audience knows. You can't fake authenticity. So I say live your life, figure out what that is, and then if that path takes you to television or radio or doing cooking demos, then that's what it is. But when you have such a, a, a narrow focus about where you want to be, you miss opportunities of where you can be. I mean, that's why my, my resume looks like I was on an S-curve, S, S you know, <laughs> like zigzagging back and forth because I didn't plan it. Yeah, I, my background's similar yet different, but like throughout my 20s, I really didn't know what I wanted to do and I was just working in restaurants I always had a love for restaurants Mm -hmm. and then I eventually fell into doing PR and now I've been doing my show but it was not planned see yeah you were busy doing Mm -hmm. what you loved and that is the focus and and unfortunately that's not what people's focus are because they their allure is to this grandeur of being on television let me tell you it's not what you think for people who make it look easy it's just because they know what they're doing I spent three years like you know, bumping up against, like, this is so hard. I I know it's hard, but you do make it look easy. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> okay, let's take another break, and we're going to come back. We'll play my speed round game and talk some industry news. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network.
And we're back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Carla Hall. It is time for my speed round game. What this is, is I name a few things and you pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Okay. Okay, here we go. Ready. Eat in or eat out? Eat in. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Mocktail. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Ooh, a la carte. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we'll keep going. (laughs) How about small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Communal table. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Mm, All-inclusive. Cooking on TV on or on a stage in front of a live audience or at home? Ooh, I love cooking in front of people on a stage. Okay. Yeah. Actually. Cool. I wasn't sure how you were going to answer that one. Mac and cheese or candied yams? Why would you do that? It, well, this I is know. one of those, why say or when you can say and. Okay. And. Uh, and. <laughs> and collard greens. And. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and. And those two go together for me. I know it's okay. starch and starch. Um, uh, uh, mm. Okay. You know what? I'm going to say candied yams because that can also be my dessert over buttermilk ice cream. That is like the best explanation. <laughs> I love it. Okay, I have two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Manhattan, Brooklyn, or D.C.? D.C. That's where my real bed is. Yeah, mm-hmm. well. Um, Sorry, y'all. <laughs> it's it's just the game, and yeah, D.C. DC deserves a win there. Yeah, give it yeah. to D.C. That's the game. You were really, you were like. No, I was like ready for the speed. I was like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Usually people get stuck and then it turns into a conversation. You kind of almost that uh, a la carte, but you, yeah. I know. And you know why I was hesitating on that? Um, A la carte, sometimes I, if I I travel a lot and a chef's menu takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I don't have the three hours to eat out. So I just want to order what I want, share the plates, have a little bit of everything. But I also love watching a chef cook. Mm-hmm. I love watching them get into, and it's, and it's just a very thoughtful menu. So that's why I was hesitating. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And also, there's there's sometimes when you just don't want to make decisions, or at least I find that. Yes. Like, just let the chef cook. Right, right. <laughs> but you know what's funny? When people go to a restaurant and there isn't a tasting menu, and somebody says, uh, oh, just what would you like? And the waiter comes over and like, what would you like? I'm like, oh, you know, just have the chef make something for me. Never do that to people. They don't have time to sit there and make a menu for you. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They have yeah. to stop, think about it and, and, and give you something unless they've done the tasting menu already. You know, I think that you should, you should order properly. Um, however, when I, I try not to do that with a mocktail because I will go back to a place if they have good mocktails, but I, I want, a mocktail that isn't too sweet. So a lot of times I will look at the drink menu and create something, but if it's not there, I will say, well, I don't see anything here, but I want something that's fruity, but ginger with herbs, you know, to give them an idea of what to make for me, but it has parameters. 
Yeah, that's I that that's what I do too when I'm ordering non-alcoholic drinks. And I just I just thought of something. I went earlier this week. There's a new restaurant meatpacking intersect by Lexus, which is part of Union Square Hospitality Group. I'm looking at their their beverage menu, and for non-alcoholic drinks, the title was unleaded. I've never seen that before, and I thought it was cool. Unleaded. So I ordered a drink. Yes. <laughs> Based on just the title, I got I got a Manhattan-ish. It yes. Was good. It was good. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. First time I saw that. You know, you see, you, you, I don't know. So did it, let me ask you this, though. So in that-ish, uh, the Manhattan-ish, did it have, because I'm always trying to recreate um, the feeling that you would get from alcohols, because I think sometimes a drink is hot. Alcohol is hot to me. So I would do a cayenne simple syrup to mimic that heat that alcohol gives you and then to put layer those other flavors and fruits in, in that. You know, it was, it, I haven't, I don't, I mean, I use, I don't know when I've had a real Manhattan if I've had, I mean, from a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if the flavors exactly resembled it, but it was it was served in a pretty glass and yeah. it was refreshing and smooth and it was it was a nice cocktail. Yes. So yes. I enjoyed it. Yeah. But side note. Okay, let's talk a little industry news. So the New York Times came out with their well, everyone at the end of the year talks about like a roundup of of the best restaurants. So Pete Wells wrote New York's top ten restaurants of twenty eighteen and it's you know, it's a great list, and it's it's very diverse. I've I've been to most the places, um, you know, and there's been some overlay with some of the other lists, like Automix is is on here, and they were on Esquire's best new list. And I mean, what's what's your what's your take? I looked at the list, and the thing that popped out for me, and I and I love this list. I haven't been to. I've only been to um, JJ's restaurant. But what struck me was that, and I love Missy's food, um, it felt real and authentic. And I keep coming back to that. Like, it's nothing contrived. And if you're talking about Korean food, it's people from Korea who are making it and giving you this honest experience of the food. So everything on this list, I want to go. And, mm-hmm. and it's also a testament to Pete Wells who can make you feel he gives you this feeling of why he loves these restaurants mm-hmm. and he's selling them like in a beautiful way um, but I, it just they just feel authentic and and it is diverse in terms of culture in terms of male female um, so I think it's a really really good list yeah I agree I also I noticed and just I guess I just want to give a a mention of this. So not all the restaurants on this list have the same, they don't have the same amount of stars. You know, New York yes. Times gives stars. Yes. And there's Automix and Frenchette and Shoji at 69 Leonard Street. Those, and Missy, three stars. And then there's a bunch of two. And J, like JJ's is a one star mm-hmm. that he gave. But my point of bringing that up is that don't just rely on the stars. You yes. know, that's like the quick thing that 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 restaurant reviewers do because like they have to do but if you if you read it the content and you see what the place is about you're probably gonna be even more intrigued and learn about the restaurant and influence yes i i don't even think about the stars yeah and i usually read the comments i read what 
um, the food is about, what the atmosphere is, um, if it feels real. Like they're not trying to step into somebody else's shoes or give you something that was from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is such a good point about the stars. Because if it's a fast, casual place, it's never going to get it's never going to get three right. stars. But yeah. it could be really delicious. Yeah. So go to you can go, y'all can go to the New York Times, check out the <laughs> list. There are a little y'all in there. Um, it's yeah, it's it's good. And congratulations to everyone. And the other news I wanted to bring up was on Eater. I saw an article how James Beard Awards to stay in Chicago through 2000, uh, 2017. Yes. I mean, 2027. 2027. I'm sorry. Yes. I'm very happy about that. And let me tell you why I'm happy. The same reasons that I'm happy about that list is, is not the same amount of stars, diversity. I think that to have the James Beard Awards in the middle of the country and not just in New York um, and sharing the love and taking it away from New York is a wonderful thing. And I've been there twice hosting now. And you have rocked it. Thank I've been you. I've gone every year since it's been in Chicago. So I'm look, looking like, wow, that's that's next nine years trips to Chicago. Like that's I, I mean, it's great to visit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what's your experience been like hosting? Are you would you want to do it again and again and again? Yes. And yes. And yes. Okay. And yes. And yes. And yes. And yes. Um, I would love to do it. I, I, I would love to host again. I have enjoyed it. This past year, I fell. It's the infamous fall on stage, you know, which was funny, and I'll roll with it. You, it's like the show was was sensational, and it just, you roll with it, and it wasn't, it was just a part of it. But I, I don't know. I've never hosted an award show, especially something, I mean, being within the industry and being on that stage, and it's a, it's a lot. I give you so much credit it's a lot to it it's a big stage it's a lot that's happening but the thing is in this past year for the first time i was actually writing the script with a comedian so there was somebody who's writing it because i'm like this is the audience all of these chefs they're forced to dress up they are anxious about if they want or not they're already adhd as am i you know you're just you know so you are you have that those children quote unquote the mm-hmm. the visual children in church on Sunday. You have to entertain them. And they are and the show is long. So what are you going to give them that keeps them interested? And so that's what I'm always thinking about. I'm thinking about if I was sitting in that seat, mm-hmm. what would I want to see? Or oh, the energy that I want to project. And it's about having fun and um and that's what I'm always trying to do. Well I, you did and it's it is. It's a long show and it went it's gone it feels like it's gone quicker because the entertainment aspects and i've always liked being there too i like hearing the speeches and and uh-huh. being a part of the celebration i've been in the press room for the past couple of years covering covering it for my show and it's just exciting it's it's great so i hope i hope they bring you back i hope they do and this past year talk about diversity and and names and people mm-hmm. that you didn't know around the country um yeah, as a matter Eduardo of fact. Eduardo Jordan. Eduardo I Jordan. He, won, he was like the biggest winner of the night. Yes, as a matter yeah. of fact, I'm going to be cooking. I'm going to be cooking with him in February. Um, he invited me to cook with him for Black History Month, so I'm going out to June, baby. We're going to cook. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, we're having a dinner. Yeah. No, I met him that night. He was so nice. I was I was just so happy for him. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so we'll see. Maybe I'll see you back in Chicago. <laughs> yes. All right, we're going to take one more break. We're going to come back. I'm going to do my solo dining experience, and we'll have the final question. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. So this week, I decided to do a little flashback to this summer, and I'm going to talk about my experience at Willie Mays Scotch House. Here's the rundown. The location, 2401 St. Anne Street in the Treme neighborhood in New Orleans, Louisiana. So the concept, it's a family-owned spot since 1957, famous for fried chicken and other soul food in a humble setting. The owner, it's the May family. So why did I go? Because I've been to New Orleans several times and I've never been there and it was about time I tried their fried chicken. So my experience, okay, I was down there in July for Tales of the Cocktail. There's a reason, I mean, it is hot in, 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 it was extremely hot in, in July and I missioned over, I took a a car to go, I first stopped by Dookie Chase and I popped in and there was an hour and a half wait and I was like, well, I know Willie Mays is around the corner, I'm going to go over there. So I did and a lot of people were waiting in line too and there was a line of about 20 people and it was it was over 100 degrees. It was like 110 and I'm starting to wait in line and I'm in the sun and then I get to move over to the shade and I was like, I think I can make it in the shade. They're handing out buckets. There's a bucket of water with, with water, ice and water because it, I mean, I grew up in Miami, but this was like serious heat and I waited it out. About 20 minutes later, they had a two-top available and I was by myself, but the guy in front of me in line was by himself. So I quickly like said to him, like, let's go, you know, and I ended up dining with with um, a, a man who's from Massachusetts, who's also in town for the Tales of the Cocktail, and it was great. So what did I get? Well, we both ordered the fried chicken, which came with three pieces, and uh, I had a side of mac and cheese and peas, and he had a side of the butter beans, and we shared, and we both got um, the sweetened iced tea. Well, I did mine half and half, a little lesser sweetened, but that was the order and also came with cornbread muffins. So my take, perhaps the best fried chicken I've ever had. I mean, it was sensational. I don't know if it was the heat and being so hungry, but I loved it. And I loved the tea. I loved the whole experience. The ambiance, it's uh, low key. It's got a few rooms. It kind of feels like you're dining in someone's home. I'd say it's perfect for soul food cravings. Interesting tidbit, in 2005, Miss Willie Mae Seaton was honored with a James Beard Award for America's Classic Restaurant for Southern Region. Personal fun fact, I went 
back to Doogie Chase's for dinner that night. And I also had their fried chicken because I wanted to try it. And I had pecan pie and gumbo, which were sensational. The cost of my meal at Willie Mays was $17.50, not including tax or gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, but probably not in the summer. Website is WillieMaysNola.com. There you have it. I'm assuming you've been. I have, and I've stood in that line, and it has been in the summer, and I, I'm sitting here where you said <laughs> that you went to Willa Mays in um, July. I'm like, oh, no. Funny story. I was there, and I got confused because I went to Willa Jane's. Mm. You know, right? I've, I know that. I, I haven't been there, but I that was on my list, too. Yes, which is great. Um, and then I was like, oh, wait, no, it's, it's, it's Willa Mays. So, um, but I'm just laughing because I have been in New Orleans in July. It was so hot. Yeah. I, I really, it was, it was the sun beating down and it was, it was, it was, yeah. The reason they, I think they do Tales of the Cocktail Conference in the summer is it brings all these people down to New Orleans in the month that no one wants to yes, visit because yes. it's so hot. So mm-hmm. it's smart. It's a smart move. Um, and it was, you know, I, I'm glad I waited it out because it was so good. But it's 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 just this funky little place. It's mm-hmm. not anything fancy. As you're waiting in line, the employees are coming out, getting a smoke through that little side door that you're just looking at them. You're like, oh, <laughs> can I go inside? Um, but it but all of that adds to the experience of having the food. It does, and there were a few older people waiting in line that they let in the side door to wait inside, mm-hmm. which was, which was great and necessary and i'm glad they do that they notice who's in line and who yeah. can who can manage <laughs> okay so it's time for the final question so my next guest is allison kane she is the owner of haven's kitchen which is a recreational cooking school cafe and event space and she's also the host of in the sauce which is a show on heritage radio network so carla what would you like to ask allison oh wow um I think in the the combination of a cooking school and having a restaurant and all of this, how does she think she can change the culture of somebody at home, like especially through recreational cooking? You know, mm-hmm. Be- and I'm saying that because somebody said to me recently, um, "Do you think chefs create?" an environment of being in, of, of young cooks being intimidated in the kitchen. And I said, I actually do not think that. I think that especially when you go to a school like Haven's Kitchen, which I love that place, yeah. um, it's about practice. So you're teaching somebody the first time how to make something and what makes them think that they're going to get it the first time. It's 10,000 hours when you're looking at a professional. So I think that, oh, I don't know. Wait, ah, okay, okay. I mean, that was my question. I guess. You can, you, I'll take two from you if you have another one. Or you're, no pressure. You're done. You you asked yeah. one. <laughs> but I, they're always there. How does she balance? Because I, I think in that space, you have the cooking school, you have an event space. She has all of the, it's a three ring circus, mm-hmm. but they do it so well. And what are some of her challenges to making it look so easy? They're great questions. I'm going to ask them all. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the show. Thank you so much. I am I'm so glad that I've gotten to know you a bit over the years and 
just watching your career and everything you've done is so impressive. And I just wish you so much more continued success. And I hope to be, you know, a part of your life because you're Thank fabulous. You. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. I think we're gonna. I'm, I'm gonna see you for a while. Yeah. Well, good. <laughs> well, I'll and I'll 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 come visit in D.C. too when you're out there. Sounds good. Thanks <laughs> for having me. You're welcome. So my guest today has been Carla Hall. She is a chef, cookbook author, and TV personality. Her latest cookbook is Carla Hall's Soul Food Every Day and Celebration. You can find more information about her and on uh, carlahall.com, and also you can catch her on GMA Day uh, program on ABC. And you can follow her on Instagram at Carla P. Hall and Twitter, Carla Hall. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. And you can also subscribe to my show and leave reviews. I'd love to hear from you. And one more thing, if you're interested in sponsoring my show, let me know. You can email me at Sherry at SherryBayer.com. It is our Heritage Radio Network's end of the year fund drive. We would love your support. You can go to heritageradionetwork.org backslash donate to uh, give a little back to us. Keep us on the radio. We'd appreciate it. Thanks to my engineer today, Matt. And thanks again to Carla. It's been such a pleasure having you on my 200th episode. That's a wrap for 2018. My next show is going to be Wednesday, January 16th at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm Sherry Bayer. Have a wonderful holiday and Happy New Year. Thanks for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.